Well, good morning. Um, I'm Pastor Allen, as probably most of you know, and that beautiful lady that was just up here was my wife, right? Anyway, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're in a series. We talk, take a topic, and pick about it for talk about it for several weeks. And this this Christmas series is called the Gift. And today's topic is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And we asked you to think about nativity scenes last week, right? Well, my mother-in-law got me a puzzle this week with a nativity scene on the front. Now, you can't see it, but what do we normally see in a nativity scene? Whether it's a puzzle or you have an actual nativity scene, we've got mom and dad and baby Jesus. What else do we have? You can speak up. What is that? All right, we have three wise men. In this puzzle, they're, they're on their camels in the background here, okay? All right, that's who we're going to talk about is the wise men. Who else is there? Shepherds. This one has a bunch of, what do shepherds have? <laughs> a bunch of sheep in the foreground. All right, there's a star on top, right, that led the wise men. We'll talk about it in a second. And then sometimes there's even an angel. This one doesn't have an angel. Okay. But that's a wrong image of the wise men, right? Because the wise men weren't there. <laughs> we talked about last week, the wise men showed up eh, maybe 18 months later. So Jesus wasn't in a newborn. Jesus was running around as a toddler. Now, how many of you have had toddlers, one and a half, two years old? Raise your hand. Okay, lots of you. Okay, you've experienced this. Now, remember before kids, and you went to a restaurant, and the person in this booth next to you had a two-year-old? You remember that? And you judged them on the fact that that kid was crazy, right? He was a terrorist. Um, then you had them. And then you're the one that you're doing anything you can to keep people from around you from thinking you're crazy or your kids are crazy, right? So Jesus didn't act that way, I don't think, since he was a perfect child. But when the wise men showed up, Jesus was probably walking around as a toddler. Right? So let's read it, the text again uh, that we did last week. When they saw the wise men, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, this was a joyous discovery. Why was it a joyous discovery? And we'll find out. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Who do you worship? You worship deity, right? You worship God. So they saw, even though they weren't Jewish, they saw the star as representing God. And consequently, they opened their treasure chest, gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, in this picture, there's three wise men. How many wise men were there? We don't know, but there were three gifts, and we assumed that actually there was more than three, most, most commentators. All right, now, for a baby or even a toddler, these are pretty unusual gifts, aren't they? Well, you might give money, uh, but frankincense and myrrh are really unusual. But all these gifts were very valuable. You'd give something valuable to a king, right? They also represent something very significant spiritually or symbolically, and that's what this series is about. So last, well, three gifts. Let's go through them real quick. Gold represents kingship. And Jesus, our king, we're going to talk about that next week. So hopefully you can join us. 
Frankincense, we talked about last week. If you missed that, you can go back and watch it or listen to it. Represents Jesus as our high priest. High priest did two major things. They interceded for the people to God. So Jesus intercedes with us to God. The other thing they did was they, they offered the yearly sacrifice the high priest did. In Jesus' case, it's a little bit different. He offered the sacrifice, but he offered himself as the sacrifice. And today's topic is myrrh. Myrrh. And representing the Lamb of God. So what was myrrh? Myrrh was a valuable gum-like substance uh, back in the day that would have been used as an antiseptic and for embalming the dead. Now, if you do this type of thing that I do in the Bible, you say, oh, how many times does myrrh show up in the Bible? 18 times, all right? 18 times myrrh shows up. Sometimes it's just listed as a spice in a caravan, all right? Nine of the 18 shows up in the Song of Solomon. If you know it's in the Song of Solomon, you need to read it for yourself. They never let young Jewish boys read it, though, by the way. That might give you a hint what it's about, or interpretation about what it's about. Then we see it show up twice at the cross, at the crucifixion. One I put on your outline. This is in Mark's Gospel. It's interesting to me that all four gospel writers, we have four stories of the life of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's four. And three of them say this is either sour wine or vinegar. But Mark's account is a little bit different, which I think is interesting because everybody has noticed different details, right? And this is actually Peter's account that, that Mark gives us. But in, P in Mark's, or Peter's account, it says, they offered him wine, could have been sour wine or vinegar, but it was mixed with myrrh to help deaden the pain. That was the purpose of it. But Jesus did what? He didn't take it. He didn't want to dull the pain that he was experiencing or suffering on your behalf and mine for our sin. <clears throat> so he didn't take it. And then when two, people, two guys come to take Jesus and bury him, it's said that have 75 pounds of spices and myrrh. Now, how many football fans we have? Football season? How many football fans we have? Big Eagle fan, Eagle fan back there, I know. All right. Now, what if I told you I could tell you what teams are going to be in the Super Bowl this year? That'd be pretty... I'd probably be... You'd be a little amazed at that, maybe, right? What if I told you I could tell you what the score was going to be? That'd be a little more amazing, wouldn't it? Even I could give you some details, like who was going to score the touchdowns and the sacks and all that stuff. That would be even more amazing, right? So you'd be pretty amazed at that. But what if I could tell you the Super Bowl that's going to be played 700 years from now if we're still around, and I could tell you the teams, and I could tell you what the score was, and I can tell you who scored the touchdowns. How amazed would you be then? Pretty amazed, right? In fact, that's unbelievable. Well, we're going to look at something a guy wrote by the name of Isaiah. He was a prophet of God. And he wrote this 700 years before it actually came to fruition about this Lamb of God, which we know now, hindsight, was Jesus. Now, as we read this, I want you to notice two things. Our problem, problem that all mankind has, all of us have this problem, and the price or the cost that Jesus paid to solve the problem, our problem. Okay? 
This is Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. It's normally labeled the suffering servant. So, see, my servant, or suffering servant as we're going to see, will prosper or succeed. And then he'll be highly exalted. Why is he going to succeed and why is he going to be holy exalted? Because he's going to suffer for some reason. Right? We're going to see that. Many were amazed when they saw him. Some translation says horrified. When we describe it, it's horrifying. So many were horrified when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. Can you imagine that? You're distorted, your, your face so distorted that you're not sure if the person's human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. It's going to be hard to believe that this is the solution that God's going to come, put, put in effect for our problem, your problem and mine. Because God's God. He could do anything he wants, right? He could snap his fingers and fix the problem. But it doesn't, he decided it couldn't work that way or wouldn't work that way. And so he came up with the solution. It's interesting because often God doesn't do what we expect, does he? If I was trying to figure out what God was going to do to solve our problem, we're going to find out it's our sin problem, um, I might have come up with multiple ways he could have done that, but I don't think I would have come up with this way. And if you've lived as long as I have, you've had the privilege, I guess you would call it, of seeing God do things that I wouldn't expect. COVID, for example. Anybody expect COVID? Certainly didn't expect the effect it had on the church either, unfortunately. So, text goes on. It's a little longer this morning, but it'll be, uh, I think, interesting to you. He was despised and rejected. You ever been despised? Hopefully you've never experienced that. I have. You've certainly probably all been rejected at one time or another, right? Did you marry the first person you dated? And did they reject you or... Maybe you rejected them. <laughs> a man of sorrows. Can you imagine being described as a man or a person of sorrows? That's how the suffering servant was described. Acquainted with the deepest grief. I don't know how much grief you've experienced in your life. Uh, some of us, some very deep grief. But Jesus, as great a grief as any of us have had, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. You ever had anybody turn their back on you? Pretty unpleasant experience, isn't it? Now, the author is telling us this is what we do <laughs> to Jesus and or God. He was despised and we didn't care. Now, for somebody to go through this, and we're going to read a lot more, would you call it a person that is weak or would have to be a person of great strength? Have to be a person of great strength, wouldn't it? Text goes on, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. I have weaknesses. They're more than weaknesses, we're going to find out. You're going to use a different word. And he, he carried it for him. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Those of you who are parents. When your children are sad, you're sad, aren't you? And in a way, you carry their sorrow. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God. Hey, that's what you get. But it wasn't, was it? 
a punishment for his own sins. Well, he never sinned. So that doesn't make any sense, did it? But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. Rebellion is another word for sin, right? We've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. God said, do this. We did that. He said, don't do this. We did it anyway. He was beaten so we could be whole. That's kind of hard to understand. How does that work? He was whipped so we could be healed. So he was whipped and tortured so I could be healed. We all need healing, don't we? Not just physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing. We talked about that. Um, Certainly spiritual healing we're talking about here. All of us, nobody excluded, all of us like sheep. Now he's going to give this comparison to sheep. He's going to compare us to sheep and he's going to compare himself to sheep. Have straight away. Sheep do that. We have left God's path to follow our own. God says, this is my straight and narrow path. I don't want to go there, God. I'm going to go this way. We want on our own. So what's the problem? We've strayed away. We're rebellious. We're sinful. He compares us to sheep. Now, you think that's a compliment? You're all like sheep. If he said you're all like lions or you're all like eagles, that would be kind of a compliment, wouldn't it? But sheep, not so much if we're going to see. You ever been to a circus, seen a circus? Do you ever have any sheep in the circus? You know, jumping through hoops or, you know, rolling over. If you have a pet, a dog, people come over, oh, watch my dog, it'll roll over when I tell it. Can you tell a sheep? Have you ever see a sheep do that? Yeah, can't train sheep. So let's look at some characteristics of sheep, which Jesus is describing us as, right? So first, they're defenseless. They don't have claws, they don't have fangs, they don't have this loud, loud bark, they don't have quills, they don't have poison they can shoot out. They're basically defenseless. And if they're attacked by a wild animal, they don't even run. You know what they do? They just kind of huddle together, take, which one are you, take your pick, which one of us you want. They're defenseless. God says, we're like sheep. Secondly, they are crowd followers. Crowd followers. It's a story came across. 2005 in Turkey, some sheep started wandering off a cliff. Big herd of sheep. So you think after five or ten of these sheep went off the cliff and died, the rest would stop, right? 1,500 sheep went over that cliff. Now I thought, wow, they all died. Well, they didn't all die. About the first 400 died, and then they were cushioned the fall. The next, how many is it? <laughs> if you take 11, 1,100 left. They, we're just stupid followers. Followers are stupid things, maybe. That's a better way to describe it. And then we already talked about this word, wanderers. Now, it's fine if you wander around in a mall, I guess. But we don't wander around in good places. We wander around where? get ourselves in trouble, right? like over cliffs. So I kind of try to think of how to summarize when Jesus said we're like sheep. In fact, somebody told me after first service, if sheep fall over on their side, they can't get back up. Anyway, I put it this way. You and I, as sheep, we need a lot of help, right? Defenseless or whatever. And so sheep have shepherds to help them. And of course, we call Jesus our shepherd. He described himself that way. So, 
Back to the text. All of us like sheep, well, straight away, have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Or all the sins of us all. Because he wants us what? Back in his flock, back in his family. And we straight away. One place Jesus tells a story where you, know, you have a hundred sheep and one wanders away. You go find it. So we're all like that one lost sheep. And Jesus did everything he could to bring us back into the fold. The text goes on. It's amazing. 700 years before Jesus. He was oppressed, treated harshly. Understatement. Yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb. Here he describes himself as a lamb. To the slaughter, sheep is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. In the gospel accounts of Jesus' trial and crucifixion, he didn't defend himself. Unjustly condemned. Again, big understatement. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendant. Never thought about that much before. Especially in Jewish culture, it's huge that you have, especially male descendants, so they can carry on your name and carry on your heritage. Jesus couldn't do that. He didn't have any children, right? In the physical sense. And his life was cut short in midstream, in midlife. But he was struck down, why? For the rebellion or sin of my people or us. So when you and I understand that, it's hard for us to take Jesus lightly and take sin lightly. And we can go through the events of that last day of his life. In the garden, he's praying. Had his couple of disciples with him said, you pray with me. And of course, they fell asleep and they weren't much help. And he goes and prays three times that, God, I know my, my life is leading up to this, but I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? You're God. You probably can fix this some other way, right? And it says he, he sweated drops of blood. He was in such agony. And he finishes that prayer with what? But not my will, yours be done. If this is what you, you want, God, I'm willing to do it. And then who wanders into the garden? Judas. And he greets him with a kiss. A sign of endearment, a, a sign of friendship. This is a guy he's poured his life into for three plus years. But it wasn't a sign of that, was it? It was a sign of betrayal. And then we can talk a little bit about the torture. One thing that really strikes me, I don't know about you, you ever got a thorn, stuck by a thorn? Man, it's so painful. They made a thorn of crowns and didn't just set it on his head real nice and pleasantly. They crammed it down in his head. Can't imagine the pain and suffering. And then the, the beating, the whipping, 39 lashes, tore his flesh apart. He was bleeding from head to foot probably. Some of his organs may have been hanging out. Then he said, oh, by the way, you need to carry maybe this 100-pound beam, crossbar to the cross up this hill. And then he laid him on it, put nails or spikes in his hands and feet. Then he hung there trying to breathe in agony for nine hours. And he gets at the end of nine hours, he said a couple things pretty significant. First, he said, God, why, why are you turning your back on me? Why are you forsaking me? And the reason is because he took on our sin, and God can't look at sin. 
So when he looked at Jesus, he saw the rapist and he saw the adulterer and he saw the child pornographer and he saw the glutton and the liar and the gossip. Saw it all. And then Jesus said, it's finished. Not I'm finished. He died. But it's finished. I've suffered all that I needed to suffer and now I'm dying so that you and I, our sins can be taken care of. Text goes on. He'd done no wrong. Never deceived anybody. And he was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. Talk about details. He was put in a rich man's grave, right? Got to think about Christianity, how unique it is, how different it is from all the religions in the world. And there's a long list I could put here, but connected to what we're talking about. First, the bloody death of an innocent victim. That's, got, that's a center of Christianity. No other religion has that. It goes back to the Passover. Time to talk about that this morning. That you know, a lamb's life unjustly had to be killed, so the death angel would pass over your family and not kill your your firstborn. Our God didn't just sit off in heaven. Our God came to earth in flesh, like we talked about last week, and experienced all the things that you and I experienced, all those temptations, yet without sin. And then he came back from the dead. He conquered sin and death. So we're going to fast forward to the Gospels, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, okay, this is probably a year into their ministry, and they're all excited about him being the Messiah, and he's going to be set up as king, be, be king. And if you're the buddies of the king, that's pretty special, right? They sit on his right hand and on his left. So about a year in his ministry, he starts, okay, guys, I'm going to make some clear to you. And we're going to read it from Luke. Oh, I haven't finished Isaiah yet. Let me finish Isaiah first. Excuse me. But it was the Lord's good plan. Doesn't sound very good, does it? Good for us, not for him. Crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper or succeed in his hand. When he see all his accomplishments by his anguish, next screen, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. So we're a part of that huge family. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad that you're here. But if you're a Jesus follower, you're part of the family. Now, when Jesus talking to his disciples, they're all excited about potential, what's going to happen. So I've got to set things clear. So this is in Luke chapter, what chapter is it? Chapter 9, I believe. Luke chapter 9. The Son of Man, that's the way he described himself, must suffer many terrible things. We just read about those, right? Not an option. He's got to do it. He will be rejected by the elders, leading priests, and teachers of religious law, which is a big deal because if you're the Messiah, they're all going to embrace you, right? But they're not going to embrace me. He or me will be killed. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> we don't kill the Messiah. But on the third day, he will rise from the dead. Kind of a turning point in Jesus' ministry up to this point. Healing, doing miracles, helping people and they're excited about the potential. But now he's saying, okay, this is where I'm headed. This is why I came. I'm going to be king, but I'm not going to be king now. So, 
with that backdrop, what does he say to us, to them, to the crowd? If any of you wants to be my follower, be my disciple. However you want to describe yourself, those of you who are Jesus followers. All you got to do is pray a prayer back when you were a kid. All you had to do is walk down, I walked down an aisle when I was a kid. Uh, maybe you just go to church whenever you feel like it. Put some money in the offering plate. Uh, read your Bible every once in a while. Tickles your fancy. Is that what he said? That's kind of stuff we think about, right? Now, if anyone wants to be my follower, here we go. You must do what? Give up your own way. Some translations say, deny yourself. Now, we're not good at denying ourselves, right? We can have most whatever we want, whenever we want. And so we might get real proud of ourselves. You know, I shouldn't be eating ice cream before I go to bed, so I'm not going to eat ice cream before I go to bed tonight. It's not good for me. But then tomorrow night, since you denied yourself the night before, I'm going to celebrate the fact that I denied myself, and I'm going to have ice cream the next night. We're not good at denying ourselves. Then he says, take up your cross. Not just take it up once. Take up your cross daily. What's the cross a symbol of? Death. So the Christian life involves a death. A daily death to what? My way. My thing. Then you can follow. What's that mean? Well, we let him lead. If I'm going to follow, I've got to let him lead. Where do you want me to go, God? You want me to go over here? Okay, I'm going over here. I'd rather go over here, but no, I'm going to follow over here. I want you to, and we're, we're, we're just about finished. I want you to think about those of you who are believers. Again, if you're not, we're glad you're here checking things out. This is not for you. You can be a seeker. This is when you cross over that line. When you think of your relationship with God, your Christianity, your spiritual life, whatever, I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me. Are you a Jesus follower mostly for what you get out of it? How you benefit? Or are you a Jesus follower for what you can do or give to Him? And I put it on the outline this way. I don't follow Jesus because he makes me a better person. No, he does. A lot better person. I follow Jesus because of who he is and what he did for me. I'm all in. Jesus has taken over my life. Not that I'm perfect, that I don't sin. But sacrifice is the key to experiencing true life in this world and the next. Jesus was born to die. That's the good news for you and I. Because we have this huge sin problem and the only way it can be fixed is the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus. Here's your assignment <laughs> during this week. Make the necessary changes that you will be a true Jesus follower. Denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, uh, so much truth, so much honesty here. 
We are rebellious, sinful people. And we couldn't fix it. We can't fix it. Only you can fix it. And it's amazing to us that you would do what was required to fix it. That's why you loved us so much. You were willing to do it. You suffered and died so we might live. And part of our following you, accepting that gift and following you, is a daily death to ourself, our way, so we can live your way. And God, that's, that's tough for us to do. Some days we don't want to do it. Some days we don't do it. Some days we don't feel like it. But I pray that we will make a renewed commitment in this Christmas season to taking up our cross daily. And for those without Jesus, we would pray the day would be the day you would step across that line. Accept that gift. Understand that you've got this problem that only God can fix. But it's a free gift to you. He's done it all. Will you receive the gift? I pray that you do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.